Good to be here. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. And again, we got to know each other in the Sunday school hour a little bit. But my name is Jonathan, and we have Kara, and then Joy Noel and Luke. They are nine, six, and four. And we have a fourth on the way, a boy. His name will be Micah, and he is due in November. And you can probably tell when you look at Kara, just barely though. Don't tell her that you can tell, but you can just barely tell she's showing. And uh, so we have a full house. And so when they said that, uh, pastor said that they just stay over there from Sunday school to the church hour, God bless whoever is taking care of them. I know they're working very hard. They're earning their money <laughs> this morning. Give them a raise. Double it. Um, but uh, we're in the book of Colossians this morning. I know that whenever a visiting preacher comes, and I'm really honored, uh, we're, we're traveling through from New York State where my wife's dad pastors, we're going home to where we live in North Carolina. Uh, it, is, it is an honor to preach here, but whenever there's a visiting preacher, I know that you're taking a few minutes on the front end just to figure him out. Like, who is this guy? What's he all about? I know that everybody does that. And so that's okay. So I'll tell you who I am. Even though we're heading home to North Carolina, we've, we've only lived there a little less than three years. Um, I was born in Indiana, Northwest Indiana, and I lived there till I was 11 and moved to Tennessee where I grew up. And then my wife was born in Erie, Pennsylvania, and she was uh, actually also moved, and she was 11, to New Jersey. So we would both say, I'm from Tennessee, from New Jersey, but we're both children of the Midwest, really. So uh, we're back in the Midwest now. And it's funny, my, my wife's dad uh, was born and raised in North Fairfield, Ohio, which is really not that far from here. And it's funny because you never ask somebody, where, do you live in North Fairfield? Get out. Because most of the time when you say North Fairfield to America, they have no idea where that is. But it's funny that here we are, uh, but that's where he's from. And he started a church in Erie, Pennsylvania when he graduated Bible college a long, long time ago. And that's why Kara was born there. And then, so you're probably wondering, how did you meet? I'm glad you asked. Uh, we met at Bible College at West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. So when I'm talking to somebody who really is not in the ministry or doesn't really go to church, I say, yeah, I'm from Tennessee, my wife's from New Jersey, but I was born in Indiana, she was born in Pennsylvania, we met in California, now we live in North Carolina, they're like, what in the world is wrong with you, what are you doing? But that's where we're at, we are Americans, when people ask, where are you from, I say, where are you from, and I can usually find a commonality with them or something, but uh, we're in the Bible this morning, so now you know who I am, we're Colossians, okay, Colossians chapter number one, and I love the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 23 is our text verse, and I'll begin by reading that verse. The Bible says, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. The title of the message this morning is Grounded and Settled. Grounded and settled. Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I preach this morning. It is a great responsibility to open the Word of God and a great honor. I pray, Lord, that you would please empty me of self this morning. Pray that it would be all about you. Pray you'd help me to only say what you want me to say. I pray for hurting hearts in this room. I pray for people joining by way of live stream, not able to make it. I pray you'd be with them. Pray for the people that are traveling. I pray for that 45-year-old with the blood clots who may be taken off life support today. I pray that you'd be with their family, and your will be done, Lord, but I just pray that you'd be with that whole situation, please, and especially Pastor and his procedure on Wednesday. I pray that you would be with those robotic arms and everything, Lord. I pray that he would be right back in the saddle just as quick as he can, as quick as you'll allow. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Our text verse this morning was written to the church at Colossae. And Paul was writing this letter to this local church to correct a false doctrine that was creeping into the church. There's no one name for the doctrine, but there were several problems with it. It stressed astrology. It stressed signs and spirits of the stars and planets. It stressed philosophy. If you look in chapter 2, verse number 8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. It stressed enlightenment, trying to reach a higher plane in your body. And, you know, we have all that today, but reaching a a point in in the fleshly body to transcend the body and control the body through outside thinking and all that. It also stressed ritual and tradition. Uh, When you look around uh, at, at maybe some established churches today, there is always the danger of trusting in ritual and tradition. You've been saved a long time. You've got that danger as well, trusting in your habits instead of your relationship. It also stressed other mediators between God and man, other spirits, other angels. And he tells them to continue in the faith, grounded and settled in the faith. I don't know if you know this, but America just recently went through a pandemic. Did anybody know that? Right, a couple of years um, in Wall Street, in the Wall Street Journal a few months ago, there was an article entitled "More Americans Left Religion During the Pandemic." The reporter writes, "Quote: The percentage of Americans who identify as Christians now stands at 63%, down from 65% in 2019 and from 78% in 2007." And by the way, you understand that a lot of people call themselves Christians. Even some cults call themselves Christians. So, but that's just people who would say that they're Christians. Meanwhile, 29% of Americans now identify as having no religion, up from 26% in 2019 and 16% in 2007 when Pew began tracking religious identity. It goes on, many places of worship closed during the pandemic, some voluntarily, others as a result of state and local social distancing rules. And in-person church attendance is roughly 30 to 50% lower than it was before the pandemic, estimates Barna Group a research firm that studies faith in the U.S. Millions of Americans move to worshiping online, and questions linger about how many will come back in person. The share of Americans, also in this article, it says the share of Americans who pray daily fell to 45% in 2001, compared with 58% in 2007. The reporter then quotes Greg Smith, Associate Director of Research at Pew and author of the Religious Affiliation Study, who says, quote, the secularizing trends that have been evident for a long time show no signs of slowing, certainly no signs of reversing. And I think we all kind of feel that as you look at America, what people focus on is acceptable in the world today, and so on and so forth. Even some, especially last month, or I guess the month before last, that some actual churches had as celebrating a certain month, a certain habit. And, but those of us who know what the Bible teaches, that comes as no surprise to us, because we know that it will get worse and worse, the church will be, the church as a, as a whole, churches will be more lukewarm overall, not every church, but, but the church, when you say the family is in trouble or the church is in trouble, you're talking about if you take the temperature as a whole. And we know that if you take Revelation to be the seven church ages, those first three chapters, that very last church, does anybody remember what it is? No, that's right, the Laodicea. And you know what it was known for, what Jesus didn't like about it? It was what? Lukewarm, that's right. I'm talking to a room of Bible scholars. It'll be easy this morning, okay? That's right, lukewarm. We're not hot, not cold. And, and I have never seen 
in my very brief life. I'm just 33, but I've never seen such a nonchalant, lackadaisical view and approach to religion by people who call themselves Christians. But that was prophesied. Jesus said it's going to be a lukewarm church. And not only that, not only that, but the world is going to get more worldly. Now, we understand the world has always been worldly. The world system, it's been anti-Christ. We understand that from studying Scripture. But it will even get worse. Paul wrote to young Pastor Timothy, who was about my age when he got this letter, 2 Timothy 3.13. It says, but evil men and seducers, talking about the end times, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But just in case you and I, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for us. So that was written for us by revelation, inspiration of God. Paul wrote that not just for Timothy, but for you and me, unless you and I should get discouraged and throw in the towel from watching Fox News and CNN and reading the paper and talking to our loved ones at Thanksgiving and screaming about politics and seeing somebody fall away from the faith maybe and changing what you thought that they had settled in their heart about God and so forth, lest we should get discouraged about the world and the churches. The very next verse, 2 Timothy 3.14, he says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says, yeah, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But continue thou. I said a second ago, the church will be lukewarm. But this church doesn't have to be lukewarm. The church is outside and the church is in the surrounding area. Ohio, you look across and, man, that church used to stand for something, but not anymore. That, that's probably going to happen. You look at maybe every so many churches, you might find one that's really on fire anymore. And that, that could happen, but not this church. This church can stay nice and hot for the Lord. Can I get an amen right there? Okay, continue in the faith. Grounded and settled. You can stay grounded and settled. Your family can stay grounded and settled in the faith. doesn't matter what the world is doing or what churches at large are doing. You continue in the word. This morning, as the world continues to get worse, and as more churches shut their doors, compromise doctrine standards, as more professing Christians live like the world, I challenge you to continue in the faith, grounded and settled. This morning, number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to see their position, their position. These were believers he was writing to, believers, Christians. Look at verse number 23, if ye continue in the faith. So they were already in the faith. He's speaking to the church at Colossae, which is by definition an assembly, a local visible assembly of saved people. They're in the faith. Look at verse number uh, two, to the saints, a saint is a saved person and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Look at verse number four. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. So you can't continue in the faith if you weren't in the faith to begin with. Look at verse 21. You that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now, just think about that. I don't want to roll over that. Think about what the gospel did for you. You used to be, without Jesus, without trusting in the shed blood of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, before you got saved, you were, you were not just kind of a good person and just doing your best. You were an enemy, an alien of God. You were a stranger. You know, an, an illegal alien or an alien, you visit a country, you're, you're an alien to that country, you're from another place. That's what it means. Like, you had nothing to do with God. You were the enemy 
of God before the gospel. But God, who is rich in mercy, he saved us. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Can I tell you, if you're not saved this morning, man, the balcony, how'd you guys score those seats? You get special tickets. Those are the good seats up there. Cool. But, you know, if you're here this morning and and you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. God's not going to one day look at your good works and make sure that you did it. You gave a little bit more money to good things and spend it. It's nothing to do with you. It's everything to do with Jesus. He will judge you on whether or not you accepted the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's what the gospel does. And when you get saved, you become an enemy alien and you become a child of God reconciled. That's what it says there in verse 22 or verse 21. Now, if he reconciled in the body of his flesh, you're put in Jesus through death. He died for you to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. John 5, 24, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You say, well, I'm working on my salvation. I'm trying to get saved. No, no, no. You missed it. You miss it. It's believe, believe. When that Philippian jailer wanted to know, hey, what do I need to do in order to get saved? What, what was he told? It was, well, you got to go to this many services and you got to get confirmed and you have to make sure you do all the good works. No, it was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That was it. Believe, cast yourself upon him. Don't just believe in him, believe on him and thou shalt be saved. Praise the Lord. The gospel changes lives. When native converts on the island of Madagascar used to present themselves for baptism, It was often asked of them, what first led you to think of becoming a Christian? The answer usually was that the changed conduct of others who had become Christians was what first arrested their attention. They said, quote, I knew this man to be a thief, that one to be a drunkard. Another was very cruel and unkind to his family. Now they're all changed. The thief is an honest man. The drunkard is sober and respectable. The other is gentle and kind in his home. There must be something in a religion that can work such changes. And the gospel changes lives inside and out. So their position here was they were saved. They were born again believers in the church, a good church, a thriving church. But there was false doctrine that was creeping into that church, something that would potentially lead them away from their faith, their thriving on fire faith for Christ. Number two, look at their purpose. Number one, their position, they were in Christ. Number two, their purpose. Now, I, I love that nothing that we could ever do could get us unsaved. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. If it was up to me to keep myself saved, I would be in and out, in and out. I mean, good night. I, I don't get saved by works. I don't keep it by works either. You can't get unborn. There is no such thing as temporary eternal life. It doesn't make any sense. Otherwise, it was not eternal in the first place. And I love that. And so if you understand that, and, and I think you probably do, uh, why would you sell out and live your life for God with such passion? You would say no to flesh, no to self, maybe no to some opportunities, no to some fun things that you think would bring you pleasure. Because the Bible said there's pleasure in sin for a season. Why would you say no to that and say yes to Jesus every step of the way? If you're going to heaven, either way, that's a good question. Colossians 1, and we already, we, the answer is already in the verses we read. Look at verse 21. You were sometime alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Why? To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. You see, we always talk about going to heaven when you die. And I mentioned that a minute ago. And that's what first arrested my interest in salvation. I was just a five-year-old boy. 
It was a Sunday night. You mentioned Hiles Anderson College. I used, that's where I was born. Uh, not in the college, but in that area. My dad was a, a professor there, and we moved, I don't know, a long time ago. Uh, but I remember the pastor there at the time, he was getting going preaching, and there used to be microphone stands all set up there at the front, and he would go through and he would kick over every single one of them. And I remember in junior church, actually, one time somebody trying to use a microphone, he's, well, this, this must have been kicked last Sunday, and he would kick him over as he was preaching. He would just get fired up, you know, and they'd go rolling down the stairs. And that, that you know, a five-year-old, he's interested in that. Like, let me see that. But he was preaching one night just on hell, and I think it clicked at, at a certain point, and that happens a lot for kids who grow up in church. By the way, that's the best place for kids to grow up, in church, and I'm sure I heard the gospel many times, but it clicked then, and, and I knew that I was a sinner. If you know some five-year-olds, I've got uh, one, four, one, six, one, nine, and they are sinners, all right? They know that they're sinners. They, you see in their eyes, no, then you see their eyes thinking, will I sin or will I obey? They know they're sinners, and I knew I was a sinner, and I asked my dad as he was about to turn off the light when he was tucking me in that night at 7629 New Hampshire Avenue, Hammond, Indiana, and I said, Daddy, and he turned the light back on, and I said, I want to get saved, and he smiled, and he got his Bible. It's probably a Bible just like this, a Thompson Chain Bible, and he went and got my mom, and they showed me from the Bible how I could know for sure I was going to heaven when I die, that everybody's a sinner, and that sin has a price that must be paid in a literal place called hell. But God loved us enough to send his son Jesus to die for our sins and pay that penalty. And uh, they they kept it simple for me. But it's a childlike faith that is necessary to be saved. And if you just uh, call upon the name of the Lord, believe and ask him to save you, he will. And I guess it's a testament to their thoroughness and simplicity there that I've never doubted since I prayed that night and asked him to save me that I was a Christian, that I was born again and saved. And from that moment, I knew that I was going to heaven if I were to die, whenever I die one day, if the Lord doesn't come back before then, I know that I'm going to heaven. But that's not all. Praise the Lord for that. But that's not all that the Christian life is about. You know, your eternal life begins when you get saved, right then. Eternal life from that point. Not one day I'll be getting it, but I have it. I have eternal life. I am in Christ. I'm a new creature. Boom, right then. I'm born again, right then. Never to die. That spiritual man is awakened. I was dead. Now I'm alive and praise the Lord. And so what do I do now as I'm this new spiritual being? I'm looking forward to one day when I'll stand before Christ. I talked this morning about rewards, about when when you give in secret, when you pray in secret, when you fast in secret, the Lord will reward you openly. Now that often means an answer to the prayers that you're asking right there, but, but not every time. There are rewards coming. Let's do a quick Bible study, shall we? Romans 14.10 says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, some people have erroneously said that one day all of our sins will maybe be played in heaven and we'll have to give account for that. No, that, too bad, right? Then they're not actually paid for at that point, right? We're not going to do, we're not going to see all of our sins. You, you should be looking forward to heaven, okay? You should be looking forward to standing before Christ. Well, then you say, well, what's the judgment seat of Christ? That's a rewards judgment for what you have done for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 9, if you would, please flip over there. We'll go back to Colossians, but 1 Corinthians 9. Let me show you what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse number 22. I love to hear the Bible pages turning. 1 Corinthians 9, 22. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? 
so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Okay, so I'll just remind you what we're talking about here. If, if somebody is going to run a race, an actual physical race, maybe you've run a marathon, a 5K or something, and you sign up for it, you're going to, if you want to have a good race and enjoy yourself and maybe win a prize if you're trying to do that, you're going to lay aside some things in the meantime. I've done a lot of these Spartan races. I don't know if you know what that is, but obstacle races and things. And when you sign up for it, it's a good motivator to not eat as much pizza. Let's just be honest, okay? I'm a big pizza guy. I love some pizza. But when you're thinking about, especially if you've done it before after having not trained, which I have plenty of times, and it is, it's miserable when you run that race and you've just done whatever you want with your body. You've really not trained. You've really not laid aside the pizza and the cheesecake and all that good stuff. Good stuff, but, but not when you're running. It doesn't feel good anymore. And he says, if you want to have mastery, you want to do really well at something, you're going to have to put aside some things, right? Temperate in all things. You're going to have to restrain yourself. Well, I would like a second helping, but I've got a race coming up. I better refrain. That's what he's talking about here. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. You know, back, back then, instead of a medal, they would have like a wreath they put on their head, you know, the, the olive leaves and all that. If you can imagine that. You're the winner. You get this. That's what they're talking about. Now, they do it a corruptible crown, something temporary, but we're looking for an incorruptible crown. I, therefore, verse 26, so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, not just like a boxer. I'm doing something real. Verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So he's looking forward to giving an account for himself at the judgment seat of Christ, where saved people will be judged, in order to get rewarded for the things that he's done for Christ. Romans fourteen twelve. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You have a great pastor here, 41 years, is that right? Unbelievable. Praise the Lord. Thank God for a faithful man of God who's kept himself uh, on fire for God and separated unto God and led so faithfully. Praise the Lord. But that's the burden of, of the pastor. Not only um, uh, himself giving an account, but giving an account for you all as well. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 10. You, go to 1 Corinthians 3 while I read this to you. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And the word bad there means worthless, means vain, empty, for nothing, for no rewards. That which was done with a wrong motive or, or selfishly or to be seen of men, we talked about this morning, for selfish reasons, will not be rewarded. So 1 Corinthians 3. This is, I think, the last place I'll have you turn probably. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another man, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, so Jesus Christ no, you're not getting any other way but by Jesus. That's the only way to God. He's the one mediator between God and man, Jesus. But now it's talking about your Christian life. Verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a, what's that word? 
Reward, good. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself excuse me, shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So nobody is saved by works, but you are rewarded by your works. Now you think about that. Now, now don't, don't just look at the scripture. Whenever you say by works, you'll get, oh, it's not by works, it's by grace. And that's true. All by grace, salvation. But when you stand before Jesus Christ as a Christian, as a Christian now, all there the same way, saved equally, not any more or less saved at all, okay? But right then, you will give an account for how you serve the Lord, how you live for God in the meantime. And so Paul, back to Paul. Paul is saying to this church at Colossae, hey, you guys are saved. You were once an enemy. You were once an alien of God, but now you're reconciled in the body of his flesh. Now you need to continue in the faith grounded and settled. Their position was in Christ. Their purpose was looking forward to one day standing before the Lord. Our purpose is to please God. You ask a a person growing up, high school, college, hey, what do you want to do? What do you, are a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that's fine. I ask that question. And that's nothing wrong with that question. But really, the real question is this. What does God want you to do? What does God want you to do with your life? Because if, I'm, if, if I understand how this all works and I understand it correctly, then it's all God's. My life is the Lord's. When I get saved, I'm not my own anymore. I belong to the Lord. And when I stand before God, I'm not going to wish that I'd gotten one more million in the bank or, or, or whatever, although if, whatever God gives you to do, you should do it to the utmost of your ability. But I will give an account for if I please the Lord, if I did what God wanted me to do, and if I did it with the right motive because I was trying to please the Lord. Number one, their position. Number two, their purpose. Number three, their perseverance. Go back to Colossians, if you would, please, and we'll stay there the rest of the time. Colossians chapter one again. There, look, at their, look at their perseverance. It says, uh, if ye continue, if ye continue, to present you, verse 22, present you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled. That, that's what I'm trying to get you to do this morning. Understand, to continue in the faith, grounded and settled. That church at Colossae was a great church. They had a good history. They were on fire. They were meeting there at Philemon's house. They were, they were a great, great church. But Paul said, you got to watch it. You've got to continue grounded and settled. It, it's not about, that's why he really railed on the tradition and the philosophy and everything, because it's, it's so easy. I was looking at your schedule in the bulletin. Uh, exactly the churches that I've always grown up, grown up in and, and attend, exactly the same schedule. Visitation Saturday, Sunday school 10, Sunday morning 11, Sunday night at 6. Is that right? I should find out before tonight. Sunday night at 6, Wednesday night at 7. That, that's the one what I'm used to. You know, that's why it threw me off. Sunday school at the church we preached in last Sunday. Sunday school after the morning service. It was because my tradition, my ritual was thrown off, right? That's not what I'm used to. That's, that's, all, that's all what it is, all that. But, but those are good traditions. You've got to have the time for everything. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but what the danger is, is relying and just kind of coasting, cruise control, autopilot. Well, I went to church. I'm a good Christian. Well, that's why we're talking about the secret place this morning. He's saying, you're, you're doing fine. You're doing well. But be careful because there's a lot of nonsense out there that'll take your heart away from uh, the Lord, away from the simplicity that you found in Christ. So he's saying, persevere, continue in the faith, grounded and settled. That's what we're to do. As, as looking forward to standing before Christ one day, what are you and I to do? Continue in the faith, grounded and settled. What, what is the faith? Right here. This is the faith. This is the faith. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the faith once delivered unto the saints by the hand of Jesus Christ, the apostles, the Holy Spirit of God. Every word in here is perfect. 
It's true, it's infallible, it's preserved, it's inerrant, it's inspired, it's the revelation of God. Praise the Lord. This is the faith. Continue in the faith, grounded and settled. Listen, you've got to have a Bible reason for everything you do. You need to be grounded and settled in the Word of God. If it's because your pastor says it or your church says it or your granddaddy or your grandmammy said it or whatever, that's fine as a starting point, but, but why do you believe it? Because otherwise it's negotiable. It's going to be on shaky ground and something will come into your mind and it will pull your heart away from the faith. And you've got to continue in the faith, grounded and settled. You've begun well, wonderful. You've lived most of your life well, wonderful. But in every year, the early years, the middle years, the twilight years, you've got to continue in the faith grounded and settled. Philippians 1.27. Uh, Paul encouraged that Philippian church, whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Acts 14.22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that what we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 16.13, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. You and I must be grounded and settled in the word of God. We have to settle in our hearts and minds. If the Bible says it, I believe it. Now, it makes no difference whether it's true or not. But to you, if the Bible says it, I believe it. I believe it. The Bible is true. Spurgeon said this, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe it all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith, and it is not good for much. You have to settle in your heart the truth that the word of God is not bound. It's not up for debate. What does it mean to you? What does it mean? And it means what it says, and we believe it. It is timeless. It is perfect. It is settled. It is permanent. It is, in truth, the word of God. And you and I have to continue, continue grounded and settled. Uh, a man named McCartney wrote this. He said, between an airplane and every other form of locomotion and transportation, there is one great contrast. The horse and the wagon, the automobile, the bicycle, the locomotive, the speedboat, and the great battleship all can come to a standstill without danger, and they can all reverse their engines or their power and go back. But there is no reverse about the engine of an airplane. It cannot back up. It dare not stand still. If it loses its momentum and forward drives, then it crashes. The only safety for an airplane is in its forward and upward motion. The only safe direction for the Christian is forward and upward. If he stops or if he begins to slip and go backward, that moment he is in danger. You and I have to allow the roots, perhaps, that you already have in the Word of God to stay to be settled. There, there is nothing new or better out there than the Word of God. This is the one book right here. No new scripture being written, nothing lost, nothing that God failed to preserve after he said that he promised he would preserve it. This is it right here, the Holy Word of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Continue in the faith and continue in your ministry. Uh, flip the page, Colossians 4. Now, these books were, were read aloud these epistles, meaning letters, they were read aloud to the church. And so I want you to think about this. Imagine this being read in the church at Colossae. And we know from the book of Philemon, it, it was in his, his house. And uh, so I don't know how big it was, but, but they were meeting there. And there is a man by the name, verse 17, Archippus. Archippus. Now, we don't know much about Archippus, so I won't conjecture too much. 
But we think he was probably, we, of people that I've read, think that he was probably the son of Philemon. When you read the, the first little bit of Philemon, a very short chapter writing about Onesimus, his slave, um, uh, he, he said something about a lady and then something about Archippus right away. Philemon and then probably Philemon's wife and son, Archippus. And Archippus is in this congregation as it's being read, and, and Paul is wrapping it up. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, Demas, greet you, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and, and it's kind of the closing. And people know how a closing of the letter is supposed to sound back then, and they understand that it's closing, and you know, uh, you can kind of tell when a preacher is wrapping it up, and you kind of shut your Bible, there's a little rustle in the room, and ladies, put your shoes back on. It's probably what was going on right here. And then all of a sudden, Archippus, maybe a younger man, he hears, verse 17, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember me, remember my bonds, grace with you, amen. And everybody looks at Archippus, <laughs> you know, uh, hey, and say, he didn't say in Archippus, he said, say to Archippus. Now, he might not have been right there. I imagine, I don't know why he wouldn't have been. Say to Archippus this, and so whenever you see him, make sure you encourage him to take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. You know what he was encouraging him to do? You're doing great, Archippus, but the Lord is leading me to say this. Take heed, fulfill it. See it through. What God has given you, not everybody's going to be the pastor, not everybody's going to be the Sunday school teacher or whatever there is to do in a church, but God's given you something. Everybody has a gift, a spiritual gift. If you're born again, the Holy Spirit's given you a gift to serve others, not yourself, to serve others in the local assembly, the local New Testament church. That's why you have it. And whatever ministry that you've been given to help people along to Jesus, that's what the ministry is, to get the gospel out. Whatever that is that you have, take heed and fulfill it. See it all the way through. Listen, if you're still kicking, there's something for you to do. If your eyes can blink, if you can breathe, if you can whisper a prayer, if you can't even talk anymore, you can pray. God has given you a ministry to do. We all have the ministry of reconciliation. Now, how does that apply to you? Whatever it is, what I'm saying to you this morning is take heed, persevere, continue, grounded and settled, that you fulfill it. A young man was eager to grow in his ministry. He had surrendered his life to Christ. And so he takes a piece of paper and he writes down all the things that he's going to do for God, the places he'll go, the things he'll accomplish. And he put it there on the altar and walked away, but he felt unfulfilled, no joy. So then he took the piece of paper and, you know, the, the altar is just symbolic. He's surrendering it to the Lord, this front uh, called to the altar. And, and so he takes it and he writes some more things, more things, things he'll do, things he won't do, but his plan for life, he puts it down and he, he feels empty, unfulfilled, no joy. So he asked his wise older pastor, and his pastor said, here's what you do. Take a blank piece of paper, sign your name, and put it there at the altar. He did, and the joy flooded his heart. Because until you say, Lord, nothing except whatever you want, that's what I'll do, you're not going to feel fulfilled. You won't have that joy in your heart. And Paul is saying, persevere, continue in the faith, grounded and settled. Finally, number four this morning, their promise. Their promise. Now, why? Why do you do it? Look at verse 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that we can be reconciled to God in the body of Christ's death and his resurrection. Hope means an earnest expectation. 
Hope is not just, well, I hope it doesn't rain. Hope is something, I've got some evidence, and by hope, I'm believing by faith that it's going to happen. I'm certain that it's happening. Our blessed hope is the return of Christ. It doesn't mean that, well, we hope it happens. Scripturally, the Bible word for hope, it means, yeah, it's going to happen. We don't, we don't, haven't seen it yet. It's coming. We're believing by faith that it's going to happen, but we know it's going to happen. We believe that by faith. That's my blessed hope. And the hope of the gospel is this, that one day we are going to see Jesus face to face. One day we will stand at that rewards judgment. One day it will be worth it all when we see Jesus continue in the faith, grounded and settled. I like to plant some things in my yard. I've got a couple of bushes, azaleas, hydrangea bushes. We live on a knoll. Our, our road is actually called a, a knoll. And it's a little mountain, a little hill surrounded by more mountains. And I, uh, w- w- what if I were to do this? And I've done this. I, I go to Lowe's and I buy some bushes, maybe some rose bushes. And I plant them in my front yard. It gets a lot of sun. I put them there and for a couple of days, I'm looking for blooms. And for two days, I see no new buds. Well, I'm not really patient, and I say, i got to get some flowers out of this bush. And so I uproot them, and I put them in the backyard. There's more shade back there, a couple of big trees. And I wait a couple of days. I look at these bushes, and I said, well, bush, what's going on, man? And so I rip it up, and I put it in the edge of the woods. we got some woods by our property, and I give it a couple of days. No, and I keep uprooting it, and I keep trying new places. Do you think that that bush is going to produce any flowers at all? It's probably going to shrivel up and die. Here's what I'm saying. Wherever God has placed you, Whatever God has given you to do, you continue grounded and settled with the promise that one day you'll see Jesus face to face and give an account for that. I'm looking forward to that day. I I want my life to be gold, silver, precious stones. I want what I do to not be for me, for vainglory or to get any praise of men or, or to fulfill anything at all other than, God, what do you want me to do? That's what I'm looking for. And that's what we all have got to be looking for. Otherwise, it's wood, hay, stubble. We stand before Christ, the Lord will know. The great preacher F.B. Meyer once asked D.L. Moody, what is the secret of your success? Moody replied, for many years, I have never given an address without the consciousness that the Lord may come before I have finished preaching. The Lord may come right, right this afternoon. The Lord, You don't have to worry about those robotic arms this Wednesday. The Lord, the Lord may come anytime. But I ask you this, and I'll ask you this, and then we'll close. If the Lord were to return right now, Do you know for sure whether you're a Christian? If you were to die today, God forbid, if you were to die today, do you know for sure whether or not you'd go to heaven? Have you received the gift of eternal life by faith? And friend, if you have, if you're a Christian, the Lord were to return and it's up in the rapture. Right now, if that were to happen right now, would you be pleased with what you've done for him or will you wish that you'd done more? As churches all around us continue to grow lukewarm, And as evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, the world gets more worldly. I challenge and encourage you to determine that you will continue in the faith, grounded and settled.